Welcome to this week's episode of Trista's Plate Story Podcast. I'm Trista Polo from IWokeUpAwesome.com, and I am your host. Each week, we learn the story behind that vanity plate. You know the one you saw driving down the road? What did it say? What did it mean? Why did they choose it? Welcome to Trista's Plate Story Podcast. I'm really excited to have Trent Bray from Salt Lake City, Utah. His license plate, I could not figure out just by looking at it. It's Boo Earns. <laughs> Welcome, Trent. Yes. Thank you. First and foremost, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, come on and talk about the, something that's fun and quirky. And, you know, it's not the usual thing that I do. So I, I love it. I love this Good. opportunity. I'm excited to hear the story. Tell me what is Boo Earns. Yes. So we'll, we'll dig into some of the other vanity plates too, I'm sure later, but yes. uh, Earns, <laughs> yeah, that one started, it actually started with my wife's car. We bought her a car and she's like, you know what? I, I love those license plates where you just sit there, stare at the stoplight and you're trying to figure them out and you can't figure it out. She's like, I want people to not be able to understand my plate like that. That's, you know, I just want a bunch of random letters and numbers. So they're sitting there thinking like, what is this supposed to mean? And then they don't know. I'm like, well, I can give you one that's going to be super random. And I don't even know why it came top of mind. I just am a a, a kind of a Simpsons nerd for at least the original first 10 seasons or so of the Simpsons. And I was like, oh, Quidgibo. It's seven letters. Nobody's going to know what it means. And it's a really obscure reference in The Simpsons. I would I mean, say even, so. <laughs> yeah, even Simpsons fans, you know, you wouldn't necessarily know what it is unless you're a real diehard. And so she's like, great, but let's put it on. And it was, it's an interesting experience because she would occasionally get people who would stop her and say, Oh, I love your plate. Simpsons. Yeah, it's great. And she's oh, like, wow. you really know what that is. I mean, <laughs> but most of the time people are like, what is that? Why that makes no sense. And tell me about it. And so it started with that one. Well, wait, you have and to then, tell us what Quidgibo is before we move oh, on because <laughs> most people point, are yeah. not going to get that. <laughs> exactly. So in only the second episode ever of The Simpsons, you know, the whole family's sitting down, they're playing a game of Scrabble and Bart, you know, the, the kid, if you're not familiar with it, the, the older son, he's, he just wants to be done playing the game. He's bored out of his mind. And so he just lays down all his letters and is like, I won the game, you know, and it happens to spell out Quidgibo and it's K-W-Y-J-I-B-O. And, you know, he's like, all right, triple letter score, whatever. And I won the game. And so he tries to leave and they grab him. And they're like, wait a second, what is a Quidgibo? And he basically starts describing Homer, the dad, and says, oh, it's a balding North American ape with a bad temper. And, you know, and <laughs> as the gag usually goes in that, he, you know, Homer chases after him and yeah. tries to strangle him. And they say, oh, Quidgibo on the loose. And so that's that's where that reference came from. I My husband has a similar sort of word. It's not a Simpsons reference, but when he was a kid, there was a riddle, what are three words that end in G-R-Y? So he gets this riddle at school, he goes home and asks his dad, and his dad says, angry, hungry, 
and Kangri. And they're like, what's Kangri? And he says, it's a, it's a board, like a wooden board with a nail in it sticking out of it. That's a Kangri. Okay. So Kangri became this very important word to my husband growing up. And it's what he <laughs> named his first real sailboat after. And so I, I kind of get nice. the idea that, you know, making up a word and then figuring out what it means later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that, I, I appreciate that story. That, that's kind of cool that yeah. uh, you've got, you've got that. But yeah, the, the whole, the Simpsons thing, you know, kind of carried on from there and I just gotten a new vehicle and I was brainstorming plate ideas. And so there's a couple people in my neighborhood who are also fans of the Simpsons and, you know, I just kind of threw it out to them and I was like, Hey, let's, let's think of a, a Simpsons vanity plate that I can put on this. Cause they, it, it, it was kind of funny. They didn't realize the, that my wife's vehicle was my wife's vehicle because we, we had taken the plate and transferred it to a new, a different vehicle. And when we moved into the neighborhood and I found them posting my wife's license plate on some random Facebook group. They're like, Oh, I love this license plate. Can you believe it? I'm like, you didn't nice. realize I live like five houses down from you. Right. <laughs> They're like, that's yours. No way. And so we kind of create a bond over that, but we threw out a bunch of different options and, Unfortunately, a lot of other Simpsons fans out there have taken up a lot of the plate options. Mm. But well, how long one, has the Simpsons been around? Thirty-one seasons. Come on now, yeah. is that is that like thirty-one years, or, the, or is so, there more than one season in a year? I think it was nineteen eighty-nine is when oh it initially debuted. Wow! So I uh, can't even get my head around that. Well, I interrupted you. I just, I couldn't, no, that, no, like, because you're right there. There are so many fans and I'm sure there are so many references and license plates. <laughs> so the, the one I, I wanted the most was sport, which, you, you know, even if you put a zero instead of the O, you know, all the combinations that you can think of, it wouldn't work. And that references when they go to itchy and scratchy land and Bart is looking for one of those little vanity license plates with your name on it and they didn't have bart but they had bort and they're he's like who in the world names their kid bort right and later in the episode they end up going into the control room of the itchy and scratchy land and one of the the calls that they made they're like the license or the the gift shop is out of bort license plates we need more bort license plates so that would obviously work really well for a license plate because yeah. it's a license plate reference, but that has been taken multiple times over. So yeah. I eventually decided on Boo Earns and that is a reference when they try and drum up tourism in the, in Springfield and they have a film festival and they want local people to put their put their films in a day in the life of Springfield or something like that. And, you know, the local town billionaire, Monty Burns, that nobody really wants to win the prize money because, you know, he already has the money. So yeah. he ends up hiring like, you know, a Steven Spielberg knockoff or something to direct this, you know, powerful film and all this. And everybody sees right through what he's trying to do. And, so they start booing him at the end of his film. 
And, you know, his right-hand man, Waylon Smithers, you know, is just a yes man and always tries to make him feel better. And he turns to him, he's like, Smithers, are they booing me? He's like, no, <laughs> no, no. They're saying boo Werns, boo Werns. <laughs> they're cheering you on. And I've, I've gotten a, a surprising amount of people who understood the plate and, you know, have been like, oh, yeah, I love that. And they talk about, you know, how they – related to the Simpsons and growing up with it and whatnot. So it's, yeah. it's surprising what that does bring. And it's this commonality that yeah, you then absolutely. have with complete strangers. See, I thought it was like maybe the born movie yeah, that's, series. That's a common one I get. Yeah. Yeah. I would never have guessed Boo Earns. But I do love when you make a license plate and have letters that are made by numbers. I always mm-hmm. think that's fun because it just shows that you had to have creativity to make it work. Right. So yeah. I love that you did that. Now, do you identify with that scene or with Monty Burns in any way? Like you're an entrepreneur, so you have a similar job as he does, but I think you do it a little kinder than he does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't put people's safety at risk in a, right. in a uh, nuclear power plant where it's like regulations. What are those? Yes, um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I wouldn't say I, I directly relate. I, I okay, good. Like you said, I, I do feel a, a little bit kinder, you know, the, so my, my main source of income right now is flipping houses. And, you know, I, I try to clarify, it's like, I, I'm an ethical house flipper. Like I won't, sell a house that I wouldn't sell to a family member. And Mm. that became true. I ended up selling one of the flips to my sister who still lives in that house. And so it's one of those things. It's like, I'm, I want to be able to sleep at night. I'm not going to, you know, profit comes second. You got to have a nice house first. Um, Not everybody who flips houses believes that because isn't the margin, the profit margin pretty slim. It is pretty times, Right. So Mm -hmm. how do you, I mean, obviously you do it so that you can sleep at night and so that you can be proud of your business. And I really acknowledge you for that. How do you make that happen though? Because the margins are so thin. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Usually, usually it makes, it means making compromises in other areas. So we have a plan where we will go in and say, we're going to do this, this, and this, this is the budget. It's like the budget's got to come from somewhere else. So maybe the yard isn't going to be as nice. We can't transform it as much as we would have liked to have done, or we've had to, you know, we one that's more recent that sticks out in my mind is we had to give up a master bathroom. So it was an older house. It didn't have a master bath and we had a plan to implement a master bath in there. And we had some other issues that came up and, so the money got diverted to that and we didn't get a master bath, which ultimately in a way hurts margins as well, because, you know, you were banking on charging this much because it had that feature. So um, you've got to restructure things, but usually there's a way around it. And, you know, even though the margins are usually tight, they're, you know, more often than not, they're in the positive rather than the negative, although the negative has definitely happened. (laughs) I think that's true in any business, right? Certain deals don't make you money like you thought they would. I, you know, I think that you've made the decision that this is how we run our business. So every conversation, every decision, every challenge comes from there. Mm -hmm. And so I think that makes you creative in that way. 
I think right. if you were just about the profit, then you would make different decisions. And so it's like your core mission and belief for your business informs every challenge, every obstacle you come across. Right. So that's awesome. And then you have another business that you're starting as well. In addition mm -hmm. to that, tell us about that. Yeah. So that is called Hustle Energy. That is the honestly the thing I spend the most time on because it's it's something I'm really passionate about. The the house flipping has gotten to the point where it's pretty self-sustaining. I've got, you know, people in place where I don't have to worry about the day-to-day -day stuff. It's which has been really nice. So you obviously give up even more margin to do that, but it allows me to pursue something I'm more passionate about. And that is the primary goal of Hustle Energy is to help people who are in a nine to five that have that entrepreneurial spirit, how to get out of that situation and pursue their dreams. Because I've been that type of person that's stuck in a nine to five and I, it suffocates me. You know, it, it's not for everybody. Absolutely not. I understand entrepreneurship's not for everybody, but for me, it's like, I, I am in a worse situation if I cannot have some control over that aspect of my life, whether it's a side hustle or, you know, my own business or whatever the case may be. So, you know, it's helping those recognize that and help them escape that nine to five and do something that they are passionate about because all I've got a podcast where I interview entrepreneurs and in general, the recurring theme is people want to make an impact and it's much more difficult to do that in a typical nine to five scenario. Yes, there are sure. definitely, you know, exceptions to that rule, but people want to make an impact and entrepreneurship is a way that you can make a bigger impact than you could sitting behind a desk working for somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. And you come to entrepreneurialism, honestly, and that's actually tied into your history with The Simpsons. Can you share how this, why was The Simpsons such a big part of your history that your license plates are all a nod to it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I like to tell people I was raised by The Simpsons just because <laughs> my- I'm not sure that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Turned out all right, I think. I did, um, I did. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so my- my parents were entrepreneurs and you know my my mom's dad was also an entrepreneur and so they were always working on their business i'm the youngest in the family so that was at a point in the time where their business was the most successful and so they were you know trying to create new opportunities and expand and grow and so they were gone a lot and you know i had obviously older siblings around and whatnot but they they had almost a different experience than I did, even being a few years apart, just in terms of different uh, parenting style and whatnot. My parents just couldn't be there as much as they did with some of the older kids. And so the one thing that I would do is I made sure I never missed the Simpsons. You know, they had it in syndication. So I was always, you know, watching it at four o'clock, you know, it would come on and on <laughs> another station, right. yeah, <laughs> another station would come on at six o'clock and it's yeah. like, all right, I can, you know, I got to quit doing whatever I'm doing. You know what? Friends go home. I don't care. I'm watching the Simpsons, mm. but 
the one thing that tied it all together is the the time that I really spent quality time with my parents was watching The Simpsons. It was yeah. seven o'clock Sunday nights. We were there together as a family, usually all on their bed watching The Simpsons. And not just any Simpsons, the new one this week. Right, right. Right, the, right. Yeah, when that new episode hit, you know, you couldn't <laughs> just catch it tomorrow on Hulu. You had to sit there and be live or else yes. you were going to miss it. And That's who right. knows when it would come back on syndication. So. Ah, the good old days. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So it had a lot of significance for you. I can see why you say The Simpsons raised you. So that, of course, makes me have to ask what, because you have kids, right? So right. hopefully you didn't learn how to be a dad from Homer. <laughs> no, no. So what no life... <laughs> I, I like a lot of things that I've learned in my experience in life is I've learned a lot of what not to do. So with, with my parents, you know, they were doing the best that they could, no, no yeah. judgment there, but I've learned that I want to be more present with my kids. I, I'm not going to let the business overtake my life with my kids. So my wife, my wife helps me with that because sometimes I'll get involved in something that's like, oh, I got to get this done. She's like, you know what? We, we need to redirect the focus. So I'm grateful for that. But also learning, you know, not to strangle my kid. Obviously, that's something Homer does a lot in there. Yeah. <laughs> that's... <laughs> I've I've learned that that will create a more resentful kid because Probably, that's yeah. what happens in the show. Right, so, right, right. <laughs> I learned what not to do there. I learned also not to buy your daughter a horse on a whim or try to take care of an elephant, you know, yes. when this, which actually we forgot to mention, I did have another plate, another Simpsons vanity plate, Stampy, which relates oh. to... Bart's elephant that he won from a gag contest, but a uh, real one, right? Yes. Yep. They thought nobody would take take the elephant, and they'd take the cash prize, and he demanded <laughs> the elephant, and so they <laughs> had to deliver an elephant. So, oh man, that's we had another <laughs> Simpsons plate there. So we had three at one point in time. That vehicle's now sold. But sorry to jump off top. No, it's good. Bit, it's but, good. So we were talking about your entrepreneurial adventures, your house mm -hmm. flipping, your hustle energy product. Tell me a little bit about being an entrepreneur. You obviously learned that that's the way to make money from your parents, right? So what tips did you get from them or did you glean from watching them that have made you more easily able to attain your success? That's uh, that's a great question, and and to me, entre entrepreneurialism isn't necessarily about the money because obviously I can, you can still make great money at a regular job. Uh, it's more about the the flexibility. So I I understand I'm going to work more hours, but I can craft those hours around you know my daughter's dance recital, or I can craft it around a family trip, and you know I can still be involved in my kids lives but i can still get fulfillment out of creating and building something and whether that becomes a huge financial success or not isn't the point it's the the fact of building something that's memorable and i think my parents were that way in that you know my my mom created a compounding pharmacy 
And the whole why behind it was her dad was suffering from Parkinson's. And so she was bound and determined, I'm going to help him with what is ailing him. And that's, it was cause. It wasn't, I'm doing this to make money. And so, you know, that, that business didn't ultimately end up helping him. She was still trying to get that figured out before he passed, but she continued the mission on and ended up becoming, you know, sourcing, compounding anti-aging and human growth and things of that nature to help people feel younger and not uh, have those age things that happen to us. So you, you learned some great things from your family. What are some things that you've learned from your own failures? Because as an entrepreneur, I promise that I would bet money on, you know, very good odds that you've Mm -hmm. failed at least once, if not many, many times as you've made your way to success. So what have you learned along your own journey? Yeah, I think I don't have enough fingers and toes to count those, (laughs) but it's, it's honestly something that is a part of the entrepreneurship experience. And it's something that people are talking more about now, but I wouldn't say is regularly talked about. And so, you know, on my podcast where I interview entrepreneurs, I make sure to ask that question. What was your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? And my failures have always come down to the same thing of giving up too early and not being persistent enough. So when, you know, the seeing my parents, I kind of got a warped view I kind of I kind of got a warped view of what entrepreneurship was like because I saw them at their peak. And so I saw their, you know, when everything was going really well, I didn't see as many of the struggles and so it's like, oh, well this is this is easy, you know, if it's not working well, it's the wrong thing. Uh, you okay. know, I just had to abandon the idea and find the idea that worked. Well, mm every successful person, you know, hyper successful person that I've talked to, they have one thing in common. They had a dream, you know, a cause bigger than money or bigger than themselves. They had a cause and they never stopped working towards that cause, no matter what odds or adversity got in their way. And so they, the biggest thing that I preach is to have a why behind what you're doing and never give up on it in no matter what comes your way. If your why is big enough, it will help you fight through that. And that's something I've had to learn the hard way many times over. Mm-hmm. And fortunately now I understand that. And, you know, I've, I've understood no matter how many times I've wanted to quit on hustle trying to get a product to market over the last three years. Yeah. I've got to keep going. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And you know, your why is such a key thing. There's uh, you know, the, the phrase, you know, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. I, I do kind of call BS on that in the way that it is still work. <laughs> like I'm yeah. for your podcast. You <laughs> still have to put in the work. It's, yep. it's fun for you to do the work, but you can't just, you know, have fun all the time and it, nothing, you know, ever stops that. There is still work involved and you still have to craft the time around it, but it is, it is something that you, 
you really have to have the passion behind it or else you're just going to abandon it mm-hmm. at the first sign of distress. Yeah. Now everybody starts somewhere and you started as an entrepreneur. So how did you first get started? An entrepreneurial venture takes mm-hmm. some capital to get started. So you either have to borrow it, raise it, or I don't know, win the lottery. How did you first fund your entrepreneurial journey when you were just getting started? So that that goes back a ways. So I'd say my <laughs> first journey in, in entrepreneurship was selling baseball cards back when I was like six. You know, I would... <laughs> That's cheating. Some, yeah. <laughs> it, it gets there. Don't, oh, okay, don't worry. Okay. <laughs> um, so that, that was, you know, just, I wanted to get more baseball cards. So I had to sell some of them to be able to fund the next ones. But, you know, my first real business started when I was 14. I was just interested in web design and so, or websites in general. And, you know, at the time there's, there's no YouTube, there's no real resources out there. You know, I was 14, so I didn't, I couldn't go drive to a bookstore to get a book on how to design websites. So I just spent a lot of my time going to websites, right click, view source as, and then reverse engineering a website. And so, you know, at the time it was obviously a lot easier. So it was just learning HTML. And Mm -hmm. so I I mean, but holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> like it was, the fact that you did that, I'm extremely impressed right now. Well, I'm glad it oh impressed somebody. But, um, <laughs> well, because I, I know what it looks like when you right click. I, I just spent the time and said, okay, well, look, it starts with this tag and it ends with this tag. And then let's work our way into the middle and figure out what these things mean. And it was something that was really interesting to me. I I really resonated with it for whatever reason. And so I figured out how to make websites and I didn't have any programs or anything. So I just designed them in notepad on my computer and, you know, just typing the code (laughs) in. And so I ended up, you know, starting to offer websites to family members and then friends and then local companies. And so that was really exciting to me. And that was I think the easiest way to raise capital is to start a service related business. Cause I was pre- providing a service. It required nothing more than the computer that I had. Right. And so no overhead, um, no employees, no mm-hmm. financial investment into equipment. Yeah. That's very right. smart. Right. So that, that was something that's like, okay, well again, it, it worked pretty easily. So I, it, Rick kind of rested on my laurels on that. I ended up getting some vending machines. That's and, exciting. That's very yeah. entrepreneurial having vending machines. That's like yeah, the sort of thing. Every time I would get something from a vending machine, I would think somebody is making money right now, but who even knows how that works? <laughs> so this, it's kind of a, a sad story, but it was a, it was in the office complex my mom was at and you know, she'd heard through the grapevine that this guy was selling his vending machines and it was a blind man who his wife had become sick mm. and couldn't help him anymore to, you know, restock the vending machines and yeah. being blind, he wasn't able to do that very easily. And so he said, I need to sell these. And so I was able to purchase those and did that for a number of years, just 
kept the couple of vending machines, you know, I thought about expanding it and whatnot and never ended up doing that, but it was, it was a fun experience. You know, it required work, but I mean, honestly, it was just making sure to shop the sales and Costco was a great resource to stuff it with snacks. Like, I mean, you could just, it was kind of uh, what you'd call now retail arbitrage where it was mm-hmm. like, Oh, I'm finding it at this store for this amount. And then I'm reselling it here. Obviously this was right. pre Amazon. So and eBay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, Amazon was just selling books at this point in time, but anyway, it was, it was a, a good experience and fortunately didn't require a whole lot of overhead, but I then tried to get into some businesses that required more overhead. And that's where I struggled to find the right opportunity to, you know, have somebody invest or, you know, find the money. But of course, you know, I'm 16 at this point in time, so it's, it's a little different, but obviously now there, there are a lot of options. I think one thing I've learned is you can always take it back several steps to something that doesn't require a lot of money. If you have that why, that goal of what you're after, there's ways to do it without having the perfect product right out of the gate. You can build up your reputation, build up your connections and, you know, oftentimes through those connections, you may find somebody who's the perfect partner. I think talking with, you know, people, it's like, what's the one thing that you would do differently if you start again? And more often than not, it's hire sooner or include a partner sooner. Because a lot of people try and take things on themselves. And it's always great to have an outside perspective when you think, you know, this is the only path forward. We need the a million dollars for this product or else the business isn't going to survive. Somebody can provide you with an outside perspective yeah, and potentially funding if that's what is actually needed. Tell me about your podcast a little bit. Yeah. So it is, it's called hustle the day. It's like I said, typically interview entrepreneurs um, Mm -hmm. or those that are in the nine to five trying to escape it or those who have done that already and it's available on all the podcast platforms and YouTube. And, you know, it's pretty much anywhere you look for a podcast, you'll, you'll find it there. Great. I'll definitely be checking out your podcast because it sounds great. Yeah. So I have been so just loving our conversation, <laughs> a real life Simpsons child. And <laughs> you, you still made it. You still yes. are able to make enough oh. money to raise your kids. And, you know, it sounds like you have a great life and I know you're married and happily that there. So before we end, I always like to turn the tables mm-hmm. and see what question you have for me so that you can put me on the spot for once now that I've been doing that to you for a while. <laughs> <laughs> oh, perfect. So Obviously, you you know, the most common question you probably get is, you know, what, what started this? And you've got your episode that, you know, explains all of that. So yep. definitely check that out for, <laughs> for the background on what you do, but, or how this started. But yeah, since we're both connected through the podcasting world, if you were to start your podcast all over again, what would you do differently? Mm, that's a very good question. 
Something I've learned in hindsight, I thought I knew everything there was to know about starting a podcast because I've had two other podcasts in the past. So I had a mic already. I already had the equipment to edit the sound. I thought I knew everything and I didn't inspect or get curious, which I think is a really important entrepreneurial tip too. Mm -hmm. Stay curious, stay learning. Don't assume you've been there before because you'll miss something. So that's what I did. I jumped right in. I had this great idea. I wanted to get rolling with it ASAP. Since then, I've seen some places that I really could have taken advantage of. For example, creating a community before I started the episode to actually take a podcasting course to see what I don't know, which I think would have splashed me onto the podcast world more effectively and it would have been easier to start with a larger audience and grow it from there. So I don't mind the audience I have. It's growing organically. But I think there are so many people who, if they knew about the podcast, they'd be listening. Right. But because they don't, they aren't. So I think that that's what I would do is I would get a little more education instead of assuming I already know everything. I don't have anything new to learn, which is a yeah. great piece of advice in every area of my life. <laughs> I, I would agree with that sentiment completely because I, I learned so much from other podcasters. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, this is a resource. This is great. This is great. It's like, why was I not doing that earlier? Yes. But you've got to thank Eric Allen for posting on his social media about your podcast because oh. that's how I stumbled upon it because I don't think I knew that that's so exciting <laughs> he's absolutely and so you know it's about building that community and putting it out there and letting yes. people find you because yeah it, it's absolutely. a great great concept and I, I love your podcast so. oh good thank you and thank you to Eric for connecting the two of us Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Trent, for being on. I really appreciate all that you shared, including, you know, your entrepreneurial tips, but also like your comeuppance as a kid and all the ways that it impacted and inspired you to be who you are today. It was yeah, great to thank, learn your story. Thank you. I, I appreciate the opportunity. Yes, absolutely. Have a great day. You as well. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Trista's Plate Story Podcast. Please subscribe to Trista's Plate Story podcast to get the story behind all those vanity plates driving with you on the road. And if you would like to nominate the owner of a license plate, including you, or visit any of our partners and sponsors, come and see us at platestory.com. That's P-L number eight story.com and give us the details. If you enjoyed this episode, please drop a review and give us a share. I'm Trista Polo, wishing you well on the road to your next adventure.